Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Anger and defiance and denial. The Biden damage control strategy in the wake of that damning special counsel report. The lead starts right now. Vice President Kamala Harris today leading the charge to defend President Biden, blasting the special counsel's report into Biden's mishandling of classified documents, a report that makes serious allegations about Biden's, quote, diminished faculties and faulty memory, unquote. A fiery President Biden went before cameras yesterday to disprove the point and ended up calling the president of Egypt the president of Mexico. What is the plan to show that Biden is on the ball? Plus, Paging Nikki Haley, it's not as if former President Trump, three years younger than Biden, is himself avoiding criticism on this front. He called the president of Hungary the president of Turkey. He confused Haley with Nancy Pelosi. Does Governor Haley have a point about the likely matchup she calls grumpy old men? And fears grip citizens in another city in Gaza. As Israel signals, it is preparing for a new ground incursion. The action from Prime Minister Netanyahu today that is once again, once again out of step with what Biden and other allies are asking for. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start today with our law and justice lead. Clean up on aisle 46 and bring the good stuff because it is a damage control blitz for Democrats in the White House on Capitol Hill. And frankly, across the country today, after a special counsel report painted President Biden as a frail old man with severe memory problems, special counsel Robert Herb decided to not charge President Biden for Biden's willful mishandling of classified documents. But Herb's partial explanation as to why he's not charging him leans on descriptions of his encounters with President Biden that sent the White House spiraling and unleashed this response from Vice President Kamala Harris just a few hours ago. The comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate, and inappropriate. The way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated. The blistering report also sent President Biden rushing to the lectern last night at the White House to defend his mental abilities, where he lashed out at the report's suggestion that he did not remember the year that his son Beau died from brain cancer. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. 
How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. But last night's press conference may end up ultimately being best known for President Biden referring to the president of Egypt as the leader of Mexico, a slip up that did not exactly put this story to rest. CNN's Evan Perez joins me now. Evan, Democrats are trying to paint this as a partisan report by a man who is, it's true, was originally appointed a U.S. attorney by President Donald Trump. But let me just ask you, in the context of special counsel reports and a special counsel's role, did Robert Herr do something inappropriate? I don't think so. I mean, I think if you look at special counsel reports, the, this is what is contemplated, that they release these reports. Uh, and in this case, you know, the fact is you, you appoint a special counsel to investigate a sitting president, which you know you're not going to be able to charge. Um, and so, you know, there's some specific things here that I think the White House is drawing attention to. Uh, including, you know, obviously the, 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 what they say is gratuitous language in uh, the, the reference to Bo Biden. I think, you know, if you look at this, it's, you could argue that it was not necessary to say it this way. You could pick different words, right? But if you're Robert Hur and you are faced with these facts, right, and you are deciding that you are not going to charge the president or that, that you cannot charge the president, you believe that there's not enough evidence to charge the president with a crime, you have to explain why it is you, you arrived at that opinion. And so he lays out all of the various reasons. We've, everybody has obviously fixated on this one, but he also says a number of other things, including that there are other examples where it appears that it's, well, he couldn't prove whether the president or the then former vice president had this classified uh, document at, uh, at a home in Virginia, for instance, right? Which would have been when he had that discussion with his, uh, with his uh, ghostwriter. So there are other problems that he confronted here. This is the one, obviously, that everyone's focusing on. And uh, the way special counsels work you know, this is what you do. You, pr you pr produce a, dec a declination memo. They are not pretty. Usually they're not, they're not released, right? But because this is a special counsel, it has to be written for the attorney general. It gets sent to Congress. And by the way, the one thing that happened is, you know, when uh, Merrick Garland received this report on February 5th, he could have said, hey, can you remove some of this language? That would have created new problems. It would have, right. it would have required him to report that to Congress and, and undermine the investigation. So, uh, you know, it's just difficulty. I, I know they don't like the report, but this is what the way the rules work. Yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of legal documents myself, and I have to say um, prosecutors' uh, comments and uh, prosecutor documents are often pretty rude. Right. I mean, they're not nice. They're not, not nice. They're not polite. He did have a whole section in there also about why what Trump did right. was worse than what Biden did when it came to classified documents. Right. And by the way, Democrats are not focusing on, well, they're focusing on that and, and pointing that out, but they're not drawing how unusual that is. Uh, you could also argue, Donald Trump's lawyers could certainly argue, that Robert Herr has no reason to be commenting on an ongoing investigation that is, that is, by the way, has not even gone to trial yet. That is so unusual for Robert Herr to bring up another investigation that he has nothing to do with. But... Robert Hur goes out of his way to say, look, compared to what Trump did, which was so much worse, uh, this is why I am not charging Joe Biden. Now, I will say this, uh, uh, Jake, you know, I think uh, the, the, the comparisons are very, very appropriate because you cannot, you cannot equalize the two things. Right. 
Joe Biden sat down for an interview, our understanding that it was a recorded interview with the special counsel. And so now the pressure will be for us to get access to all of the materials yeah. from this investigation. And we'll see whether the White House will allow all of that. All right, Evan Pettis, thanks so much. This Sunday, President Biden will once again not sit for an interview that will air during Super Bowl coverage, a huge missed opportunity to show He's on the ball to tens of millions of viewers, including a bunch of Swifties. Last year, Biden opted out as well. Fox was the broadcaster of the Super Bowl last year. So the White House used Fox's iffy commitment to journalism as an excuse. But this year, it's CBS. And, and there's no excuse. I mean, Nora, Gail, Scott Pelley, what's the problem? CNN's, CNN's Arlette Science reports now on the White House's evolving response to whether or not he should be out there more, especially amidst this glaring PR problem. Everybody. President Biden defiant and lashing out after special counsel Robert Hur's explosive report. I've seen the headlines since the report was released about my willful retention of documents. This, these assertions are not only misleading, they're just plain wrong. And today, Vice President Kamala Harris came out slamming the special counsel, suggesting politics were involved. The way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated, gratuitous. We should expect that there would be a higher level of integrity than what we saw. Biden's aides noting the president fully cooperated with the investigation, including two days of interviews in the opening days of the Israel-Hamas war. He wanted to make sure he had everything he needed and he didn't want to throw up roadblocks. The special counsel's investigation ending without criminal charges, but hers assessment of Biden as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, putting the 81-year-old president's age in the spotlight. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. The president fiery in the face of reporters' questions last night. Mr. President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many me. American people have been watching and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they your judgment. I'm the most question. qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. Her's report highlighting a chief issue voters raise about the president. A recent NBC News poll found three in four voters have major or moderate concerns about whether he's fit to serve a second term. Yes. Okay. We, we know. Pres President Biden is old. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like breaking news to me. It comes amid a string of verbal slip-ups, including Thursday, when Biden mixed up the leaders of Egypt and Mexico. Initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. Her's report striking a personal nerve with Biden after saying the president couldn't remember when his son, Beau Biden, died from cancer. How in the hell dare he raise that? In private, Biden's fury even more direct, telling a group of Democratic lawmakers, quote, how would I effing forget that? Now, as the fallout over the special counsel's report swirls, President Biden today hosted German Chancellor Olaf Scholz for a meeting in the Oval Office to talk about Ukraine. The president in that meeting said that failing to pass aid for Ukraine by Congress would be, quote, close to criminal neglect. The president did not answer a reporter's questions uh, in the spray of that meeting, but we do anticipate seeing him in a little over an hour when he leaves here uh, for a weekend in Wilmington, Delaware. But one big question for the coming
coming weeks is whether any transcript or audio of the president's interview with the special counsel could be released. Today, a spokesperson for the White House Counsel's Office would rule out that would not rule out that possibility, saying that it could be released potentially once it's redacted for classified information. Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if they think special counsel her is unfairly portraying these exchanges, let's let's hear it. Let's see it. Our light signs at the White House. Thanks. Joining us now to discuss presidential historian Douglas uh, Brinkley. Uh, Douglas, so good to see you. And, and one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you about this is because you edited President Ronald Reagan's diaries, which are evoked in this report. Biden suggests that he didn't do anything different than what uh, Reagan did. I think it's something like that. Um, what, what's your take on how all of this is playing out? Well, on that score, I think President Biden is mistaken. Uh, Ronald Reagan did not have any classified documents in the sense that Reagan had read something already marked or read by somebody else classified and moved back to California with them. Uh, what Ronald Reagan did and what I edited was every night uh, when he went to bed with his wife, Nancy, he'd write a couple lines, not drawing on reports, um, just what he saw or felt that day. Um, and that became um, the, the, you know, the, the Reagan diaries. Other presidents have different ways of doing these things. I mean, Bill Clinton had Taylor Branch come to the White House and a journalist, and they would tape the, make these tapes, and uh, Taylor would go off with them. It was all of these presidents after Watergate were trying to find a way to legacy spend. How do I keep some of my stuff? But I think in regards to both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, there should never be classified documents being taken out of the White House, whether it's stuffed in a notebook or or stuffed in a uh, briefcase. You know, it's interesting. There's another section of the special counsel report that said uh, that then Vice President Biden saw himself as a historical figure, and that's why he kept uh, these documents. I suppose a lot of politicians view themselves in that way. Um, but he also, uh, special counsel Her, went out of his way to say that President Biden was more like previous presidents in how he handled or mishandled classified documents than he was like Donald Trump, who, her noted, uh, refused to give the documents back, uh, encouraged witnesses to lie about the documents, and on and on. What did you make of that? Look, I think the White House made a mistake, not just celebrating. Uh, the big headline we all should be talking about is Biden vindicated. Once these documents were found in his garage, he cooperated fully, he did the interview. Yes, there are a couple of barbs that I know would get under Joe Biden's skin, and I think it was deeply unfair to evoke Bo Biden. Uh, but the, otherwise, as you rightfully say, Jake, that's the way these special, uh, and you've read many of them, that's the way these, um, these special um, counsel's reports tend to be. As for the legacy piece, you know, that's why we got Watergate. Nixon wouldn't burn the tapes mm -hmm. because he was going to bring them back to San Clemente and write a multiple volume like Winston Churchill did on World War II. That, those were going to be the nest eggs. And I would recommend any president in the future after seeing Biden and Trump get in trouble, don't bring classified <laughs> documents to your house put them in a garage or put them in a bathroom. They belong to the American people. Leave them in Washington and go home. Your time's up. And, and just quickly, if you could, um, having, uh, having known the, the, the Reagan presidency so well, um, obviously there were concerns about Reagan's faculties, Reagan's memory, Reagan's ability. He put those to rest to a degree in that presidential debate with Walter Mondale with, with humor. What do you think Biden should do? Uh, and do you think he's capable of doing it? You just said the great word, humor. 
You cannot be like Jimmy Carter was over the killer rabbit and get in a funk about it. They're going to go after you every day. Ronald Reagan used to keep a group of file cabinets, Jake, and he'd put jokes in them under, you know, A, B, C, D, every topic under the sun. And he'd grab these jokes and unleash them. There was a way to make make a joke about I'm the elderly, um, you know, guy. But I think because Bo was evoked, Biden kind of blew his top, said, I'll show those whippersnappers uh, who's in charge and did that uh, hastily organized, uh, strong sounding at first uh, rebuttal to um, her. But in the end, when you start confusing and the same rap, you know, you're you're confusing uh, Egypt with Mexico at a time of crisis like this, uh, it, it doesn't bode well for you. So it was a lost day for Biden, and now they're operating out of a deficit instead of a plus. Presidential historian Douglas Brinkley, always good to have you on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We have some breaking news for you in our money lead. Undoubtedly something President Biden would rather we all focus on today, especially voters. The S&P 500 just closed above 5,000 for the first time in the history of the S&P 500. The landmark moment comes as economic growth is strong. Earnings reports have been better than expected. The Federal Reserve is expected to start cutting interest rates. Maybe that would have been our lead if the White House hadn't been in such a tizzy uh, about the report. Coming up, President Biden says Israel's military response in Gaza has been, quote, over the top as Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu directs his military to draw up evacuation plans before it enters the last major population center in Gaza. And Haitians are once again rising up in protest, demanding elections they were promised but never got as killings and kidnappings in that troubled country soar. We're going to take a closer look. We are back with the political fallout from President Joe Biden's surprise news conference last night where his attempt at damage control was not, in fact, under much control. He uh, confused the president of Egypt with the president of Mexico. Let's bring in our panel. Paul Begala, let me head you off at the pass because I know you're going to mention things that Trump has said uh, that were similarly confused. So here are some of those. All of the evidence, everything, deleted and destroyed all of it. All of it because of lots of things, like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. Victor Orban, did ever, anyone ever hear of him? He's probably like one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. And he, uh, he's the leader of, right? He's the leader of Turkey. Okay, so Victor Orban is the leader of Hungary. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi is who he was referring to, not Nikki Haley. Still, the perception of him being doddering is not, at least not equal to the perception of Biden. So how does Biden deal with this? Right. I I don't think it's, he is effectively as old, right, actuarially, Mr. Trump. 77 versus 81 or something. As Joe Biden, right. But I I think the thing to do is, well, well, first off, what we ought to do is set aside Joe Biden. I think people ought to be committing journalism here, by which I mean, okay, this is one of the things I hate about politics. Trump says the moon is made of green cheese. Joe Biden says, no, it's a rock. And we say candidates clash on lunar landscape. How about we call Buzz Aldrin? Say, man, you've been there. In other words, I have talked to national security, the career people who overlap presidencies, who have worked for both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And to a person, they have said to me, and I'm not a reporter, okay? So they may be spinning me or something. But they say, we ask about Trump, they use the word crazy and unhinged and dangerous. You ask about Biden, they say, oh, he's all there. He's perfectly sharp. Now, maybe they're wrong, maybe they're right, but I think real journalists ought to be calling these people and report this out. 
Now, the perception is what it is. But the reality, from everything I have heard, is that Biden is totally up to the job. And these are from career people who are not Democrats. And we don't do that. We just say, oh, well, everybody thinks he's too but, old. But, but Paul, as you know, perception is reality. And, yes, but and, we're and, not and, the cable most, perception network, and, though. And, I mean, journalists no, ought to be getting to the that, reality. But, but most Americans will trust their eyes. And they see the president, who is aging, and they see the president struggling to remember certain phrases or appearing to be confused about certain cities. And this isn't a negative against the president, Jake, but the reality is by the end of his second term, he will almost be 90 years old. Now, I have older individuals in my family. My great-grandmother, Jake, lived to close to being 90. I had a conversation with my grandmother last night about this. And she said, grandson, there is no way at 81 I should be in academia anymore or leading an institution anymore. And we all know that to be true. But then it's Most a, Americans the know that, that to be true, Michael, is it applies equally to, to Mr. Trump. What I don't, what, what I don't like, it, you have a perfect right as a Republican to make that point. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. People he, he said he doesn't disagree with but, the point about, about this applying to Trump, too. No, no, I guess my problem is I expect more than political talking points from an independent counsel. He's not independent. He's a partisan. This guy who wrote this report. Okay, he clerked for Chief Justice Rehnquist. Who led the fight against Rehnquist's confirmation? Senator Joe Biden. Oh, maybe he's biased. Okay, he worked for Donald Trump. Who defeated Donald Trump, which got this guy to lose his job as a prosecutor in Maryland? But, but Joe he Biden. Also, but he this also... was a terrible choice by Merrick Garland, oh. Joe Biden's attorney general. A terrible choice. And this is a partisan part. The only Evan, thing it means... Evan Tyra says it sounded, uh, our, our Justice Department correspondent says, this is how special counsel reports and prosecutors right this is, i mean he said that they shouldn't but, that's how ken Starr wrote and he's but, disgraced but, but, in history but, but Jake, that's how matter, james but, comey conducted but, but, himself he's a, a disgrace wait a minute pause amount of rebuttal here this is also someone who gave financially to john mccain who's a so republican we're, we're not talking about some never MAGA, given to a democrat we're not talking about a republican MAGA donor he's a trump employee he's a rankless clerk just what do you make of the fact that special counsel robert Hur went out of his way to say what donald trump did was far worse than what Joe Biden That's did. also not in his purview. He has no right to be smashing or tra trashing Donald Trump. He was hired to investigate Joe Biden and he cleared him. But so he clears him legally and he kneecaps but him but politically. Paul, it it's more proof that it's a political document. Paul, it, it just needs a disclaimer that says political ad for it Joe Biden. It diminishes your Trump. argument, Paul, that he's a partisan mm -hmm. hack to the very point that Jake just made, which is that there was a comparative to the former guy. And right. he was very clear that what the former guy did was far worse than what President Biden did. It, it, so clearly not this was someone who attempted job. to be objective. And if the point yeah. is, well, why didn't you? He was uh, absolutely get why, why politically because he couldn't get him legally. Why didn't you seek charges against the president? And he made the case because the president appears to be too old and his memory isn't quite there. Because he's innocent. That's a legitimate point because to make. Because he's innocent and he he's said been he could, cleared. He said he couldn't prove uh, in, a, in front of a jury right. that this was Correct. on purpose and willful. And then he gave the reasons as to why that was. Now, this, you, that's not what I was taught in law school. I was taught prosecutors speak through their indictments. Okay. And when they choose not to indict, it means you're innocent. You two stick around. We're going to come back to you. Uh, more than a million people have fled to Rafah in southern Gaza, and now it is the target of Israel's next military assault as they pursue the terrorists of Hamas. Coming up next, the fears that Rafah will soon become a zone of bloodshed. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. 
Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. In our world lead, the leaders of the United States and Israel once again showing that they are not on the same page. President Biden said just last night that Israel's conduct in Gaza is, quote, over the top, as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is directing Israel's military to draw up evacuation plans before the Israeli military enters the last major population center in Gaza, the southern city of Rafah, where 1.3 million mostly displaced Palestinians are currently sheltering, according to the United Nations. CNN's Nada Bashir reports on the latest bloodshed in Gaza, and we must warn you, some of what you're about to see is difficult to watch. There are simply no words. This grandfather cradling the body of his seven-year-old granddaughter, Ataf. Beside the shallow grave where she will soon be buried. I told her mother that Ataf is now a bird in heaven, Ahmed says, with her aunt, her cousin and her grandmother, who were all waiting for her. You see, we have many martyrs in our family. Ahmed says his family had been taking shelter in a school in Khan Yunus when an airstrike hit. It took hours, he says, to reach the nearest hospital still able to treat little Ataf. But it was too late. Across Gaza, more than 10,000 children have been killed since the war began, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. Many more left orphaned or facing life-changing injuries. In the central city of Deir el-Balah, the airstrikes are near daily. Those who survive left to dig through the rubble with their bare hands in search of their loved ones. Meanwhile, in Rafah, once deemed a safe zone, UNICEF estimates that there are now more than 600,000 children among the over a million people in the area, many taking shelter in these sprawling tent cities. The southern city has, for weeks, come under relentless airstrikes by the Israeli military, who say they are targeting Hamas. But now, a looming ground operation is stoking fears that Rafah could become, as one aid group has described it, a zone of bloodshed. If by some misfortune there's an invasion of Rafah, two-thirds of the population will die. 
Jabr says. We can't get out of Rafah. We have no other alternative. Israel says it is now calling for a mass evacuation of civilians in the southern city ahead of a planned ground offensive. But it is almost impossible to fathom where else these civilians can turn to. But Rafah has not only become a vital lifeline for the displaced, it is also a crucial gateway for humanitarian aid crossing over from Egypt. And many in the international community are now sounding alarm bells over Israel's warning. And I'm especially alarmed by reports that the Israeli military intends to focus next on Rafah, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have been squeezed in a desperate search for safety. The U.S. State Department has warned that it cannot support an Israeli military operation in Rafah without serious planning for civilians there. With U.S. President Joe Biden on Thursday describing Israel's actions in Gaza as, quote, over the top. But Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has already dismissed a proposal from Hamas for a prolonged truce which would see a phased withdrawal of Israeli troops from Gaza and a gradual release of hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. Netanyahu, who described the proposal as delusional, has vowed to push ahead until a, quote, complete victory over Hamas is achieved, leaving little hope for diplomacy as negotiations continue and little hope for what lies ahead in Gaza. Of course, Jake, behind the scenes, there are still intensive diplomatic efforts between the lives of Egypt, the United States and Qatar. On Thursday, of course, we saw regional foreign ministers meeting in Riyadh to discuss a potential prolonged truce or ceasefire. And of course, here in Cairo, we have seen a high-level delegation of Hamas officials arriving for talks. They have now departed. They arrived early at Thursday morning. The focus of those discussions on a potential ceasefire agreement or a prolonged truce as the current framework stands. But of course, as we have seen, uh, the Israeli government, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has so far dismissed Hamas's counter-proposal, but still mounting pressure from the international community, particularly as concerns loom over the situation in Rafah and a potential ground incursion by Israeli troops on this city. Jake? All right, Nada Bashir in Cairo, Egypt for us. Thank you so much for that report. An outbreak of violence, fears of an escalating humanitarian crisis, a nation on the brink. We're not talking about the Middle East. This is a country that is a neighbor of the United States. Stay with us. In our world lead, escalating political unrest in Haiti, in the Caribbean, is quickly sending the country further down the abyss of chaos. The United Nations says last month was the most violent month in more than two years in Haiti. There are reports of rapes, killings, gang violence, and of course widespread poverty as anti-government protesters demand that the prime minister resign. CNN's Sarah Seidner shows us now just how Haiti got to this volatile point. A state on the brink of collapse. Haitians are once again rising up in protest, demanding presidential elections that were promised but never delivered. It's been nearly three years since Haiti's president, Jovenel Moïse, was assassinated. In the power vacuum, warring gangs asserted their control of Port-au-Prince, disrupting the supply chain of basic necessities and displacing scores of civilians. Kidnappings and shootouts on the streets have become routine hazards of life. My interim government and the police were working hand in hand to restore normal life in the country. 
We are aware a lot of things have to change, but we need to make those changes together and calmly. The current prime minister, Ariel Henry, has been urging calm, but swaths of the population are rising up against him. Henri took control of the country after being chosen by President Moise shortly before his assassination. In a 2022 CNN investigation, a judge overseeing the assassination told CNN Henri was a main suspect in Moise's assassination, something Henri has denied often, calling it a diversionary tactic to impede justice. But Henri is largely seen as an illegitimate leader by the Haitian public. The final straw, he failed to keep his promise to move forward with long-delayed elections, citing terrible violence. Now, amid desperation, some Haitians are rallying around a polarizing figure, Guy Philippe. We have a government here in Haiti that has no legitimacy. No one loves them. This government, everyone knows, is helping gangs, killing innocent people, kidnapping and serving imperialism interests. Haiti's current government denies those allegations. Philippe took to the streets in Haiti this week to rally against Henri's government. Philippe brings a complicated history with him. The former high-ranking Haitian national police officer rose to prominence after leading a coup that resulted in the ousting of the first democratically elected president, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, followed by an unsuccessful bid for the presidency in 2007. He is only recently repatriated to Haiti after serving six years in a U.S. federal prison after taking a plea deal, admitting to taking bribes from drug smugglers. Philippe was scheduled to do an on-camera interview with us, but says security concerns had him flee to an undisclosed location. You did go to prison. You accepted a plea deal um, for taking bribes um, from drug smugglers. How do you respond to people that say, how can you possibly be trusted to run this country? First of all, uh, if you know the American justice system, you know they forced my lawyers to sign this plea deal. But the DOJ says he accepted a plea deal and admitted wrongdoing. Ultimately, the Haitian constitution is clear. According to the law, to the laws of Haiti, I can go to elections. I can be president, prime minister, whatever I want. It's up to the people of Haiti. They will have to choose. If they want me to be their leader, I will be glad to be their leader. Today, uh, Philippe's words are still galvanizing a public frustrated by unabated gang violence, corruption, economic despair, humanitarian crises, and constant political unrest. And Jake, just to give you some idea how bad the violence is now, in 2023, the UN has documented over 8,400 direct victims of gang violence. That's up 122 percent from 2022. Philippe says he will continue to rally and he will continue to run no matter what happens in his home country. Jake. All right, Sarah Seidner, thank you so much for that report. It is normally a joyous moment full of hope, but in Idaho, for a number of women learning they are pregnant, that act of learning about it now brings fear. We're going to show you how new abortion restrictions are changing the lives of patients and physicians. That's next. In our health lead, the U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear its second major abortion case since it reversed Roe v. Wade in 2022. The court will decide if emergency room physicians can perform medically necessary abortions in states that prohibit them. 
The case will focus on Idaho's so-called Defense of Life Act, which is a near total ban on abortion with narrow exceptions for rape, incest, and to prevent the death of the mother. Uh, the bill also criminalizes doctors who perform most abortions in that state. CNN's Meg Terrell brings us this look at how Idaho's ban is impacting both patients and physicians. As soon as that ultrasound technician put that wand on my stomach and I saw the baby on the screen, I knew something was wrong. Twelve weeks into Jen Adkins' pregnancy, she and her husband John got devastating news. Their baby had Turner syndrome, a chromosomal disorder. The longer the pregnancy continued, Jen's doctors told her, the higher the risk she had for developing life-threatening high blood pressure. I wanted to be pregnant. I wanted to have this baby, but she wasn't going to live and my, my health was at risk too. Jen and John are Idahoans through and through. John's family goes back six generations. They're raising their two-year-old son here, along with 11 cats they took in and ended up adopting. So what happened next made them feel betrayed by the state they love. They said, well, because you're in the state of Idaho, we cannot provide a termination for you. We cannot provide an abortion. In 2020, lawmakers here in Idaho passed a trigger ban, which would essentially ban abortion in almost all circumstances if Roe v. Wade got overturned. Of course, that happened in June of 2022. So the abortion ban went into effect. Now it's illegal in Idaho to get an abortion in almost all circumstances. One of the few exceptions is to save the life of the person who's pregnant. There's no exception for a circumstance like Jen's, where her health was at risk, but her life was not immediately threatened. How are you just weighing the risks to yourself and to, you know, as to your family? I knew there was no question in my mind that I was going to travel and, and get an abortion one way or the other, because I knew my son deserves a, ch a chance to have his mother here and healthy and um, a, a non-viable pregnancy is not worth risking that comfort and safety to my living son. Jen and John ended up driving six hours from Caldwell, Idaho to Portland, Oregon for an abortion. We honestly felt like we were fleeing and had to do so under the cover of darkness. It was a really, really bizarre feeling like we were going to get, you know, like we're criminals that have to hide from the state. Those kinds of drives are becoming more common. This is one of the least densely populated states in the whole country. One doctor we spoke with said that in the rural area where she practices, the drives already before the abortion ban were 65 miles for her patients to get this kind of care. Now, with abortion banned in Idaho, she says those drives are more than 300 miles. These laws are weighing on doctors too. Dr. Julie Lyons has practiced family medicine in the rural community of Haley, Idaho, near Sun Valley for 18 years. It's a little bit terrifying to know that we can't practice our full scope, that we are now needing to manage and triage patients often outside of the state to get the reproductive health care that they need. She says the laws mean many of the colleagues she depends on for higher risk pregnant patients have left the state. We had um, 10 um, perinatologists taking care of women in Idaho. That's down to five. And she says the laws are even changing how she talks to patients on their first visit in a healthy pregnancy. We more than ever are, are having that discussion. Like if you need to go out of state, 
you need to check with your insurance. You need to make sure you buy life flight insurance. Many of my patients are scared to be pregnant in Idaho. It's really tragic. I mean, you expect to go into that appointment and talk about prenatal vitamins Mm -hmm. and what should I be eating? Exactly. It's supposed to be a really happy, wonderful visit. And and yet then we have this whole other discussion of uh, around how care looks now. Back across the state, Jen and John have recently had that conversation because they're pregnant again. Congratulations. Thank Thank you. you. How does this pregnancy feel knowing what you went through through your last pregnancy? Anxiety, nervousness, um, hoping that everything goes well. I have friends that are pregnant at the same time as me here in the state. And we all kind of share the same sentiment. We all just hope that we get through this pregnancy unscathed. Both Jen and Dr. Lyons are plaintiffs in a lawsuit against the state of Idaho over its abortion laws and its lack of exemptions. Dr. Lyons' health care system isn't part of that same lawsuit. CNN also reached out to the state attorney general's office in Idaho for comment. A spokesman told us Idaho's law, quote, safeguards the life of pregnant women and said the state's health care system, quote, is stronger and better serves women and children when our doctors prioritize saving two lives rather than prioritizing abortion on demand, unquote. Jake. If they felt so confident about that, you'd think they'd give an interview defending their law. Meg Terrell, thank you so much. Is age not just a number and more of a state of mind? Well, now both age and state of mind are central to the race for the White House. Why that matters and how this week could be a defining one in the campaign. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tamper. This hour, some of us at CNN are lucky enough to be in Las Vegas ahead of the Super Bowl. Not me, of course. Some of us are lucky enough to sit down with the winningest Super Bowl quarterback of all time. Tom Brady gives his take on Sunday's QB battle. And yes, Taylor Swift. Plus, one of the world's leading elder statesmen on one of the most pressing issues of our time, former Polish president and Nobel Peace Prize winner Lech Walesa, joins me with an urgent, urgent warning for the world about the fight for democracy. And leading this hour, the special counsel report may have legally exonerated President Biden, but it is creating a major political headache for him. The White House is in serious damage control mode today, with Vice President Kamala Harris leading the fight against accusations in special counsel Robert Hur's report that Biden has, quote, diminished faculties and a faulty memory, unquote. We're going to start our coverage with CNN's Paula Reed, let me uh, air that uh, bite from uh, Kamala Harris r- really quickly. 
the comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate, and inappropriate. The way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated. So we're going to start our coverage with uh, CNN's uh, Paula Reed. Um, and, and Paula, how is the White House responding to this report today beyond what we just heard from Vice President Harris? And what do we know about that interview between President Biden and Special Counsel Hur's team? Well, the White House clearly in damage control mode today. They had the White House counsel spokesman, Ian Sams, come out and answer questions from the White House press corps. That's a good move because Sams has been the one shepherding the press through this entire investigation. He knows it well. He fielded a lot of questions, including a lot of questions about the timing of this interview with the president and the special counsel. Why did they do this? The day after the October 7th terrorist attack in Israel, wasn't he distracted? Now, the way the White House is spinning this is they're saying, no, we didn't want to delay it. We didn't want to, quote, put up roadblocks. We wanted to give the special counsel everything they needed. But there's one way, Jake, very easily to clear up this confusion about whether the, the president was distracted, if he was being coy, or if he really was showing signs of cognitive decline. Release the transcript. Well, the White House says that's something they're open to possibly doing, uh, but they have to sift through classified information because, of course, that's what they're talking about. And you said this earlier in the show, and I agree with you. I'm not sure this is the right route for the White House to take because the fact that they held this press conference, they came out and litigated, you know, what was said on page three versus page 48. We're here talking about this again. And we haven't heard the last from Rob Hur. I would expect that he will likely testify on the Hill eventually, and he'll be able to speak to his side of all this at some point, as other special counsels have. Yeah, I mean, I thought the initial response from the White House was Biden saying, I've been exonerated, mm -hmm. and the report points out that what Trump did is so much worse than what I did. Um, <laughs> and then end, and then move on. But, but they couldn't. <laughs> but then he obviously got triggered. Um, when Robert Hur uh, released the report about Biden's handling of classified documents yesterday, it was reminiscent in many ways of when James Comey, former FBI director, scolded, expressed disapproval of then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton uh, in July 2016, months before that presidential election, she was the Democratic nominee, about her handling of classified material. Can you walk us through similarities and differences between the two? Yeah, here's my big issue with this comparison. Rob Hur is a special counsel. According to the regulations, he is required to release a report detailing his findings. That is something a special counsel is legally required to do. James Comey was the director of the FBI that was overseeing a traditional criminal investigation where there were no charges. It is not the custom of the Justice Department or most prosecutors to come out and discuss someone who is the subject of an investigation who was not charged. That was also done just days before an election. So for people to say this is like what James Comey did, wait a second, Rob Hur was doing his job. He had to compile this report and turn it over to the attorney general. And sometimes the things that you find in the course of an investigation, even if you don't charge, are ugly. They're not flattering. Just like with a special counsel Robert Mueller's report. He didn't charge Trump, but he was highly critical of him. So do really take issue with that comparison. Well, politically, the repercussions could be similar. The legality is very different. Rob Hur was doing something he was required to do. James Comey was breaking with precedent and arguably had an impact on the election. And this is something I discussed with, um, with Evan Pettis, which is I started my career in journalism as a, as a police reporter for Washington City Paper. You read a lot of uh, prosecutorial documents. This is what they read like. They're not nice. They're prosecutorial documents. 
Exactly. And look, I think the White House has enjoyed a year of this investigation without the day-to-day -day breathless kind of coverage that the special counsel uh, investigations into Trump have had, largely because those are more complicated. There's more people. There's more moving parts. They have tried very hard to control the narrative. As someone who's broken many stories on the her investigation, it's very unpleasant. They make it very unpleasant. They wanted to control the narrative. So I'm sure they are irate that there are these critical passages in this report. And intelligent minds can and have disagreed about whether Rob Herr went beyond the norms of what prosecutors would say when assessing whether to bring charges. But again, this was his responsibility to issue this report. And no, it's not nice. But again, it's a long report, and there is a lot to exonerate him in there. All right, Paula Reed, thanks so much. With us now to discuss, Democratic Congressman from California, Congressman Robert Garcia. Congressman, good to see you. So after yesterday's report from Special Counsel uh, Herr, I, I presume, but maybe you don't, I don't know. Do you still have confidence that President Biden is the best Democrat to run for president as your party's nominee this fall? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, Joe Biden is the one person uh, that has beat Donald Trump. Uh, he has the experience as VP, as a senator, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about this campaign moving forward. I mean, I think what's really clear after yesterday is that there could not be one single charge that this special counsel could find to actually accuse the president of doing anything. He's been completely cleared. That's the most important thing, completely exonerated. It's been a 15-month-long investigation, uh, numerous hours of testimony. He's produced all the documents that, they, that the special counsel asked for, and they have cleared him. And that is the most important thing. We're moving forward. We had a huge campaign this fall, and we're united behind President Biden. Well, see, your response politically makes a lot more sense to me than President Biden going out last night to try to rebut what the special counsel claimed about his memory, uh, a press conference in which he said this. Take a listen. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. Now, I don't need to tell you, and I certainly don't need to tell President Biden, uh, President al-Sisi is the president of Egypt. He's not the president of Mexico. And that would just be like one comment, except this comes after Sunday, where President Biden talked about a meeting he had in 2021 with French President Francois Mitterrand, who died in 1996. He was actually referring to the current French president, Emmanuel Macron. Take a listen. Right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. I was, in, I was in the south of England. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, what, why, how, how long are you back for? And it, it doesn't end then. Not only did, did he confuse Presidents Macron and Mitterrand this week at another event, he mentioned having met in 2021 with Helmut Kohl, when that was the Chancellor of Germany in the 80s and 90s. And he was in, referring to former German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Kohl died, I think, in 2017. Now, look, people misspeak. I get it. I misspeak. But part of the job of president is the, the, having the confidence of the American people in your faculties. Forget what Robert Herr said in the report. This is President Biden speaking publicly. Do you understand why some Democrats, according to polls, a majority of Democrats are concerned? I mean, there should be no concern. Here's the reality. Uh, President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp. He's focused. 
He's bright. He's experienced. And with age also comes incredible wisdom. This is the most prepared person ever to be president of the United States. Uh, he is looking at the big picture. Look at his accomplishments of what he has done. And so Democrats are actually very confident in this president, and we're very united behind what he's going to do. And as far as uh, you know, folks getting things wrong, I mean, people do it all the time. Mike Johnson just compared, I uh, was comparing Israel and Iran. Uh, Donald Trump uh, compares Nikki Haley to Nancy Pelosi. We all misspeak sometimes. And so I think the important thing here is we should not be uh, so focused on this one issue around age. We should be focused on what the results look like. What do the accomplishments look like? It's lowering insulin. It's infrastructure. Uh, it's it's access to, to more rights. And so that's what President Biden is focused on. I think the bottom line here is he was not charged and we just need to move forward. Pr President Biden is going to beat Donald Trump this fall. And that's the focus. So do you think that President Biden, if he is as impressive behind the scenes as you say he is, uh, and I've, I've talked to him in off-the-record settings with reporters, and uh, I, you know, I think he's aged since I started covering him in the year 2000, but, but I understand what you're saying. I'm, I, he, he is not the way that he is caricatured on Fox, for example, um, but he certainly has shown his age. He certainly shows his age in, in some instances. Do you think he needs to be out there more so people see him? For instance, he's not doing the traditional Super Bowl interview with the network that's hosting the Super Bowl, which this year is CBS. I understand not doing it last year with Fox. But this year it's CBS, and he's, he's not doing that. That sends a signal to people. What is he afraid of uh, when it comes to doing that interview? I mean, he's not afraid of anything. I mean, well, first, uh, the, the president's got a busy schedule. I mean, who cares if he's not doing the Super Bowl interview? He just yesterday did a, a primetime press conference. He spoke to House Democrats during the day. He's traveling the country. He's working on legislation. We've got multiple international conflicts ac across the globe. And so this idea that people are obsessed if we're doing the Super Bowl interview or not, he does plenty of interviews. He will continue to do so all, ac all, all across the country. And he's an active, busy bright person. And I think that's the important thing. And I would, I, I think it's important to look at actually the accomplishments and the results of the Biden-Harris administration, which are plenty. And so that's that's really the focus. Um, I don't think it's our job to, to schedule the president or to figure out what he's going to do or not do. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad that he's been completely dismissed of any charges. The report makes that clear. It's time to move forward. So it's not that people care about it, uh, whether or not it is a Super Bowl interview. It's a, it's a missed opportunity to speak to tens of millions of Americans. And uh, I have it under good authority that this year there are going to be a lot of Swifties watching. Uh, that's a lot of women uh, and men uh, who might not normally be watching football who all of a sudden would see them. So that's it. Before you go, I think this is the first time I've interviewed you. Did you get sworn into Congress um, on uh, the first Superman comic book? Is that you? Uh, that well, on both the Constitution and a copy of Superman number one. I know you're a fan, Jake. So Action Comics. All right, no, that's pretty cool. Uh, Congressman Robert Garcia of California, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Not all of President Biden's allies agree on how to combat questions about his age and memory. What we're learning on that from new CNN reporting. That's next. And we're back with our politics lead. Can makeup and lighting fix President Joe Biden's age problem? Some Democratic operatives think so, and others say it's going to take a whole lot more than makeup and lighting, which, by the way, I don't want to badmouth makeup and lighting, especially after yesterday's report on Biden's mishandling of classified documents, where the special counsel found Biden's, quote, memory was significantly limited. 
The White House counsel today is denying that characterization. Let's bring in our panel. Uh, Isaac, uh, walk us through your reporting on the disagreement between uh, White, uh, Biden's allies yeah. Uh, on how to combat these questions about his age, his faculties, his memory. Well, look, it's, it's not just allies, it's people inside the White House on the campaign, and it predates the report yesterday. What we see is some people feel, top aides of Biden feel, they're doing this the right way. They limit the exposure that, they, that he has, doesn't do a lot of events, and uh, that means that there are less opportunities for flubs or gaffes or those sorts of things. You have a lot of other people, though, who feel like, He's at his best when he's just mixing it up with people and uh, that if he makes a mistake, okay, no big deal. And it's not these high profile moments when it happens. You do see that uh, even uh, on Monday, the president was in Las Vegas. Uh, he went and did a couple of stops uh, that were much more casual. They're looking to do more of that, less interviews, less of those things. But this is an ongoing thing. And it's also something that comes up, like you said, about lighting and makeup. Uh, they've gotten advice of maybe have fewer events where you get the president walking into the room, have him already seated so that he doesn't have that shuffle. These are the sorts of things that happen with a candidate who's 81 and showing it in some ways. Uh, Paul, it does not appear that the Democrats have a a, a, a plan B, meaning a, an alternative to Biden, should the pressure just be too much uh, and he decide that he that he it sh- isn't going to run or or maybe something is some other reason. Um, would it be wise to at least have some sort of backup plan? No, no, he's running. He's by the way, he's winning token opposition. It was serious opposition. Dean Phillips is a good man. He's losing in polls to Trump, though. But I mean, all he of is. Them. And so that's the alternative, right? He doesn't need lighting or... Make it. He needs Henny Youngman, the old comedian. They ask him, how's your wife? He said, compared to what? Every sentence out of his mouth for 269 days needs to be, and Trump's a threat at the end. It's mm-hmm. good. Happy birthday, Aunt Tilly, and Trump's a threat, mm-hmm. right? Am I old? Yes, I'm old, but Trump's a threat. It's, it's, this is how Edwin Edwards, the corrupt governor of Louisiana, beat David Duke, the Klansman. He had a slogan that said, vote for the crook. It's important. Right. So I say, win one for the geezer. Like, yeah. he just needs to say Trump is worse. And most Americans, not just Democrats, think that's right. So d- nobody unites the, the, the people of Earth like a threat from Mars. And that's what he needs. He needs that external threat, which is existential. It, that will make people then say, okay, they're not going to say he's young and vital. They're going to say, yeah, he's old, but the other guy's a threat to my Social Security, to my abortion rights, yeah. to my democracy. Do, you, do but, you think that would be effective? No, because people already think that, Jake. They yeah. already know that. The, the polling on this is baked in for the most part. They look at Donald Trump, and he's made some mistakes for getting people's names, et cetera, Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi, but they see a far more vibrant individual. You see an individual, if you... Let's just take out the veracity of many of his claims that we've talked about many times on your program. But they see someone who can go on the stage in front of thousands of people for two and three hours without scripted a piece of paper and some notes with a Sharpie and can rift and rift and rift and energize his voters. Right. President Biden, unfortunately, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the president, Paul. He's not capable of doing this. And I'll just say this. You think about our country. We're a warrior society. We've, we won, won this country by fighting, blood, sweat and tears. And we like leaders who are strong, showcase a level of strength. This guy has my back. He can do the job on day one. I'm not convinced, Jake, that many people look at President Biden as much as we adore him and love him and say he can continue to do the job. This is a fear that Democrats have, uh, Democratic voters have, Democratic office holders had, uh, Congressman Garcia notwithstanding. Uh, And it is a a serious one. Uh, I think there are probably about five Democrats that 
were the decision made, and I don't think that the decision is going to be made, but were the decision for him not to run happen, Vice President Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg, Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, Governor Whitmer of uh, Michigan, and Gavin Newsom of California, they're but it, it's I feel like you left some names off there. But. Who do you? Well, those well, are, that's I mean, my top I, five. That's my top <laughs> five. Who did I leave off? I, there, there are a, a long list. Uh, some, some might say Governor uh, Pritzker in Illinois. Uh, there are some new governors, Josh Shapiro and Wes Moore, get talked about. I, I mean, it's it's all hypothetical though. Joe Biden is running for re-election. That's where we are. All right, thanks to one and all. Appreciate it. He won a Nobel Peace Prize for freeing Poland from the grip of the Soviet Union, and now. One of the world's leading living statesmen is in Washington, D.C., fighting for the future of democracy in Ukraine. And he is here on set with me next. You will not want to miss this. In our world lead, Ukraine has a new military chief, and today he laid out a new strategy to beat back Putin's continued brutal assault. His key priorities implementing more advanced battlefield technologies and speeding up the delivery of supplies to troops on the front lines. One key to Ukraine's success, of course, is help from the United States. But we saw the next tranche of aid blown up by Republican senators this week. For my next guest, this fight is one for the soul of democracy, and the stakes could not be higher. Lech Walesa is, of course, the former president of nearby Poland, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, who helped lead his country out from under the tight, oppressive grip of the Soviet Union. A note to viewers, this interview is live. We're going to use a translator, so there might be some moments of pauses between the questions and the answers. Uh, President Walensa, thank you for being here. You have said, if the U.S. does not act now, our grandchildren will never forgive us. Why are the stakes so high? Jeśli teraz nie zrobimy odpowiednich rzeczy, to nasze wnuki na mnie nie, 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 nie przebaczą. Dlaczego? Because the world is very mobilized against Russia's actions right now. Never before was the world so motivated against Russia's actions. So this needs to be taken advantage of. We need to grab this opportunity. We have a historical opportunity, but it will never repeat again. That is why I have a great request. Let the U.S. lead this effort, but pay more attention to your information policy. <coughs> because uh, fighting by force really is old type of fight. Uh, today, we need to fight with arguments. We have to fight politically. When, um, when we were fighting in the Solidarity Movement, we had a more difficult situation because of the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union, and yet we managed to get out of that yoke without firing a shot. <coughs> there needs to be more political and argumentative uh, struggle. There, of course, people have to defend themselves uh, with arms if they are being shot at, but more attention needs to be paid to arguments, to proper arguments, so that people um, change the system. Um, how? How does the United States need to, how can the United States help the Ukraine with this information war? As I said, 
what needs to happen. All the casualties, all the Russian casualties of that war need to be recorded and their neighbors need to be addressed directly. Uh, we need to be addressing the neighbors of casualties. Your neighbor has died and your other neighbor's son has died in the war. So um, do you want that war? And maybe you'll be next. Do you want to die? The head of state of your country shouldn't have more than two five-year terms in office. It's not about Putin or Stalin. It's about the system that causes these behaviors. We have to help Russia change politically. I've been appealing for that when Gorbachev was in power. power. I said Gorbachev was a smart politician, but he is a patriot of Russia. He wanted to make the West dependent on Russian resources, but he wasn't changing the system because he knew Russia would come back and restore its power and Putin or Stalin as Stalin would come back and restore Russia's power as before. And this is what's happening. In order for our grandchildren not to have to fight, we now have to exploit this opportunity that we have. The whole world has to work on it. What is your message to any Americans who are listening to Putin's propaganda and Putin's interviews and find his arguments compelling? And think this is the fault of NATO for backing Putin into a corner, which is his argument. You said yourself what needs to be done. Putin doesn't really have an argument. He lies. He's lying, yet he's winning. And we say the truth and, and still can't, be, can't win in terms of our information or propaganda. How come we have so, you have so many specialists from information, technology, uh, it needs to be used, utilized in useful ways. Right after World War II, um, people would uh, drop leaflets from uh, airplanes over enemy territory. This was a way of influencing other people. So let's base our experiences on the past. There should be radio stations, televisions, um, and leaflets, and other methods. These people will receive the arguments, but we need to address them. These arguments should be really simple. We should be telling them, look, your neighbor is already dead. Your neighbor's uh, child is already dead. And if you get drafted, you'll be dead. Do you want to live or not? If you want to live, listen to us. We are experienced. We are not against Russia. We want you know, Russia is a, a wealthy country and can, could live in prosperity and peace. Russia doesn't have to disturb our peace. The, 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 the core of the problem is the political system. How worried are you that if Russia conquers Ukraine, Poland might be next? Sir, 
Russia would prefer to conquer America than Poland. Amer uh, and don't forget about that. But right now, Russia is simply too weak to do that. But Russia is hunting America more than it is hunting Poland. And let America remember about this. The courageous people of Ukraine who are fighting now they are fighting on behalf of all people of the world. You are a hero for democracy. I remember what you did with the Solidarność movement uh, in Poland, uh, and it's an honor to have you here. Yes, but that was about uh, destroying the old order. And we destroyed the old order in order to build a new one. But in order to build a new one, there must be some leading nations, some nations that lead. And the United States should lead on global issues for the whole world. In our generation, we must transition from small nation-states to globalization and continental issues. None of the states that we have now can handle individually by itself some global issues such as environmental or uh, health issues. I would like Poland to be that lead, leading nation, uh, but we don't have the resources. We don't have the money to handle that leading role. The United States has this role, happens to have this role. It's not about you fighting uh, for every, everyone. It's not about you paying for everything. It's about proposing solutions that are good and in encouraging the world to join in the effort. If we don't do this, we will finish our civilization. We see what's happening. Do you not think that President Biden is doing enough or is the problem the fact that the Congress has decided or is struggling to fund Ukraine? Congress uh, uh, The president does a lot, but in the old way, he is using force. You have to do more politically, more in terms of information warfare or information policy, because uh, even if we defeat Russia now, militarily, it will rise again in 20 years and it will uh, attack again and our grandchildren will have to fight again and they will blame us for not taking this opportunity. Uh, that's what I'm afraid of. I am uh, afraid that the West will force Ukraine into some uh, peace, peace agreements. Some people will make money on the war and some people will make money on the re reconstruction. Uh, but some people are only counting on making Russia weaker for only 20 years instead of solving the underlying problem in Russia. I tried to do that 40 years ago, but I was stopped. I was 
uh, I was convinced uh, by others that it, that wasn't the time. Uh, but now it's 40 years later, and we could finish the job that I couldn't do at the time because it was too dangerous at the time. President-elect Valenza, thank you so much uh, for being with us today, and best of luck with your mission. Coming up is the least trusted man in Washington, now the key witness in the election subversion cases, does what he uh, tells his friends square with his testimony to prosecutors. That's next. Back with our Law and Justice lead, a key witness is cooperating in the House Ethics Committee's inquiry into Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates, according to the New York Times. The Justice Department closed its investigation into Gates last year without pressing any charges, but now a former Gates ally says he saw Gates having sex with a 17-year-old girl. This story first reported by the New York Times' Robert Draper and Michael Schmidt, and Robert Draper joins us now. Uh, Robert, so Joel Greenberg, Gates' former friend and political ally, who's currently serving an 11-month prison sentence for sex trafficking, apparently provided documents that detail these claims. Why is he cooperating now? Well, the Ethics Committee just now reached out to him, and so essentially his attorney's responding to the request that they made in a letter. And as you said, Jake, uh, Greenberg has turned over. Greenberg, who was a former uh, Seminole County uh, tax collector, and as you say, a running buddy of Gates's back in the day, uh, turned over hundreds of pages of documents that supposedly support um, his claim that, uh, that he witnessed, and perhaps others witnessed, Gates having sex with a 17-year-old um, woman who worked for an escort service. So, I mean, obviously, accusations are not facts, and allegations are not indictments, right. and indictments are not convictions, and all that said, and Gates maintains his innocence, but how much trouble could Gates be in here, legally and politically? Well, a lot of trouble. I mean, as you mentioned, sex trafficking of a minor is a serious offense. It carries a minimum 10-year sentence. Uh, uh, Greenberg is serving 11 years, uh, and that's for pleading guilty. Uh, so um, uh, that's serious in and of itself. It uh, could result in the Ethics Committee recommending expulsion. If expulsion occurs, of course, that has political ramifications. That's one less Republican. I think the wafer-thin majority would then be down to two Republicans. So uh, there there are a lot of ramifications, a real ripple effect that could ensue if this um, if this is what it you know what what they're claiming it is. Yeah, House Speaker, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was talking just yesterday in Las Vegas about Gates maybe going to prison. Um, let's turn to another huge piece of reporting from you. You have this great new profile in the New York Times Magazine uh, latest issue. It's titled "How Mark Meadows Became the Least Trusted Man in Washington as Meadows Faces Charges in This Sprawling Georgia Election Interference Case." And you quote. Um, this quote from your reporting stood out. Um, some, quote, some Trump affiliates suggested to me that Meadows had merely gotten by with the minimum in complying with the federal subpoena and that this by itself did not prove he was a rat, unquote. So what are, what are your sources telling you about the extent of Meadows' cooperation with Georgia prosecutors? Sure. Well, with the Georgia prosecutors, we don't know, and I don't think that there's any cooperation taking place. On the federal level, however, Jake, that's where uh, uh, he received a, an immunity order, which means he got full immunity, uh, and, and um, as a result of that, uh, testified for six hours before the federal grand jury. They don't hand out immunity orders for free. Uh, you, they do that expecting that, A, you um, will just plead the fifth otherwise, but B, uh, if you don't plead the fifth, you'll actually have some to say. And of course, as uh, Trump's former chief of staff, he was the guy in the room. Now, it's clear that, that uh, 
uh, that Meadows doesn't want to, you know, he wants to supply a roadmap perhaps to Jack Smith's people without actually having to testify, but Smith may be insistent that he do so, that, that he is uniquely able to uh, describe events uh, relating to Trump's refusal to recognize that the election had been lawfully won by Biden. Do you think Meadows would ever do that, actually testify against Donald Trump? I mean, if he's if, if he's compelled to, sure. Of course, if that happens, then Jack Smith is buying himself a problem because as 6,800 words worth of my story indicate, um, Meadows has a long history of uh, prevaricating, of telling people what they want to hear, not just because he's a people pleaser, but for his own um, advancement. And in this particular case, to get out of a jam. So he clearly would like to get by with a minimum. And uh, Trump's people, though, are very fretful of this, as my story details because uh, um, it's quiet over there. And, uh, and, uh, and though Trump and his allies don't want to push Meadows over the edge by outright calling him a rat, uh, they are privately fearful that that's exactly what he is. Fascinating. Robert Draper with a great new New York Times Magazine story. Thank you so much. You might be using AI to help write emails or make funny pictures, but federal border agents are experimenting to see how AI might stop the flow of fentanyl into the United States. We're going to show you how next. In our tech lead, law enforcement is testing out a revolutionary new method to stop the rampant spread of fentanyl throughout the United States. They're using artificial intelligence. And as CNN's Josh Campbell reports for us now, they're hoping to use it at the U.S.-Mexico border and other critical ports of entry. In the short time we've been here, this packet of fentanyl was seized in the mail. The sender of this envelope now under federal investigation. The deadly drug detected by artificial intelligence. Its street value? About $100,000 worth of fentanyl. Every piece of mail, every package entering the United States is scanned by CBP. Right now, that's done by x-ray, with officers staring at images across their screen. And if they become suspicious, they open the package up to determine whether a threat's inside. But AI could revolutionize the way U.S. Customs and Border Protection does battle against smugglers. We're here near Los Angeles International Airport in a facility that processes over 240 million packages every single year. Officers seizing numerous items, including counterfeit merchandise, illegal food, as well as precursors to the deadly drug fentanyl. Now, in order to help stop America's fentanyl epidemic, officers are now relying on artificial intelligence, like this system. A package is sent through this main system called IDSS. This is similar to what you might find in a hospital or at an airport. A 3D image is taken and then sent to what's called the student. This is the HALO system, artificial intelligence at work. Unlike old technologies such as x-rays, this system is constantly learning and teaching itself. The mission of this AI system, part of a CBP pilot program, is to identify patterns, how smugglers are concealing fentanyl in order to evade detection. At the end of the whole process, this system will get a grade. After scanning 10,000 images, an officer will look to determine how well the system actually did, determine whether this is the type of machine that CBP might want to roll out to its multiple facilities across the nation. Imagine all the information that's coming at our officers and agents. They're the best in the world at what they do, but they need help distilling that information so you can make an informed decision. Something's going on here, something's not right. But there is another important byproduct of this sophisticated technology. If I, as the officer, can look at some kind of device and say, you know what, big red flag, red alert, yeah, then I could actually follow the proper protocols, isolate, 
notify the proper people and then take care of it without getting too close and endangering myself or others. This pilot program is currently being used for cargo arriving by air to LAX. CBP hopes to expand the use of AI to other critical points of entry into the United States, like the Port of Los Angeles, the busiest port in the nation, and at the border, a major point of origin for fentanyl entering the U.S. drug supply, killing thousands. One looming question, with well-funded drug cartels known to adopt advanced technology of their own, how long will AI provide U.S. authorities a cutting-edge advantage to stay ahead of the threat? It's an incredibly challenging uh, mission set, something that's probably the most challenging that I've seen in my 30 years in law enforcement. But as a, you know, a father of an eight-year-old daughter, as a husband, it's incredibly important. We take it personally at Customs and Border Protection, and we're going to do everything we can to keep this poison off the streets. Josh Campbell, CNN, Los Angeles. And our thanks to Josh Campbell for that report. On Sunday, tens of millions of people will tune into the Super Bowl, Taylor's version. Tom Brady weighs in on this year's swift rise in attention for the game and how it's fueling fans' wildest dreams. We're just two days away from Super Bowl 58 in Vegas. It's a rematch between the reigning champ, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the San Francisco 49ers who are looking for revenge. CNN's Coy Wire is in Vegas for the game. Coy, who always has the best gig in the biz. Uh, you also got to talk to Tom Brady. Did Mr. Brady weigh in on the reason why my daughter and so many other Swifties will be watching their very first Super Bowl this Sunday? You know I had to ask for my two daughters as well. Exclusive TV interview with the GOAT at Fountain Blue Las Vegas, unveiling the new Hall of Excellence, Jake, with Fountain Blue Chairman and CEO of Development Jeffrey Soffer and legendary broadcaster Jim Gray. Tom's given his seven Super Bowl rings to be stored amongst other rare memorabilia, Muhammad Ali's boxing gloves, a treasure trove of legends. Tom says the hall is for the people to see the history and to inspire the next generation. Of course, I asked him about the big game as well. Patrick's been a great player since he came in the league, and so is Brock. And they're leading two totally different teams and styles. Both well coached. I think both organizations are doing it the right way. And uh, I was a part of organizations that did it the right way, so I love when I see matchups like this in the Super Bowl that it's truly the two best teams and one in each conference that are now competing for the championship. And one's going to get one of those rings, and the other one's going to be looking for answers like the other 30, te 30 teams who aren't in this game. You know, I'm happy for them, and, and, you know, I think they should – that's their personal journey to me. This is really about a great football competition and, and, um, and the magic that's created on the field. And these players have all worked their entire lives to get to this moment. Brady, all business, Jake, locked in, focused on the game, just like he was as a player. And seeing those seven Super Bowl rings, all these comparisons of Patrick Mahomes, maybe the next GOAT with his two titles and two rings, they don't understand how far that he has to go to become close to Brady. And, uh, Coy, who you got in the game? You, you, you picking one? Uh yeah, I got Usher for the win. Halftime show's going to be fire, Jake. And no, this is these 49ers. They've been favored every game this season. Favored once again. Showed heart coming back against the Lions in the NFC Championship game. They can tie. Listen, Mahomes and Andy Reid are today's Brady and Belichick. There's no way I'm getting against those two in this big game. All right, Coy Wire in Vegas. Have fun, man. Coming up Sunday on State of the Union, Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio talking about the immigration deal collapsing. I'll see you Sunday morning at 9 Eastern and again at noon here. Here on CNN. Until then, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X, formerly known as Twitter, and on the TikTok 
at Jake Tapper. You can follow the show on X at the Lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of Lead, you can listen to the show once you get your podcast. All two hours sitting there like a big tray of Super Bowl nachos. Our, covers, our coverage continues now with the Situation Room. See you Sunday morning. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.